All right, so this is Country and Western Sunday, right? Did you wear your boots? You know, country and Western music is heralded for its honesty about what it means to be human. I mean, let's face it, country and Western music is real. It sees, on one hand, the importance of things like faith and family. But you know what? Like we just said, it's honest, and it really doesn't mind shining a mirror on itself, because it'll also talk about the frailties of being human. It'll also talk about heartbreak and disappointment and difficulties and trials. Sometimes we don't deal real well with those. You know, there's a joke about country and Western music. I don't know if you know this. Actually, the, the country band Rascal Flat wrote a song about the joke. Their song is called Backward. And the joke is this. What do you get when you play a country song backwards? Well, you get your wife back, your job back, your dog back, you sober up. You know, there are plenty of country and Western songs that, you know what? I have not heard them, but they have some really interesting titles. I want to share with you some of these interesting titles that I found by well-known artists. Loretta Lynn and Conway Twitty. Y'all, they sang a song together that was entitled, You're the Reason Our Kids Are Ugly. (laughs) I'm not making this up. Webb Pierce and Mel Tillis sang a song, How Come Your Dog Don't Bite Nobody But Me. (laughs) Kitty Wells sang, Only me and my hairdresser know. (laughs) But what about this one by Bobby Bear back in 1976? Drop kick me Jesus through the goalposts of life. (laughs) Not too far to the left, not too far to the right. I I looked that one up because it's about football, so. (laughs) Or what about this one by the great Johnny Cash? Flushed from the bathroom of your heart. Again, I did not make these up. These are real songs. You can go listen to them. And here's the other interesting part of this. A lot of you already knew these songs. Uh huh. Some of you even like them. I think that's interesting. <laughs> Overall, country and Western music truly knows heartbreak. It knows disappointment. So I thought I'd preach today about dealing with disappointment. Now there's a true story about a man named Speedy Morris. Speedy was the head basketball coach for LaSalle University. He was shaving one day when his wife called out to him from downstairs and he said that he was wanted on the phone by Sports Illustrated. Speedy Morris was so excited about the prospect of national recognition for his program that he nicked himself with his razor. 
And he ran down the hall with a mixture of blood and lather still on his face. He was so excited, he stumbled down the stairs. Undeterred, he stood and limped with physical distress to the phone. And on the other line, a voice said, Sir, this is your lucky day for just $1 a month. You can get a free trial subscription to Sports Illustrated. (laughs) The pain of disappointment is a pain that each of us feel. It is a pain that we are all too familiar with. Disappointment because the loved ones let us down. Disappointed because... Well, students, your grades let you down. Is that really what it was? Was it the grades? Parents disappointed with children. Children disappointed with parents. And us disappointed with ourselves. You know, the word disappoint sounds rather benign. It sounds uneventful and insignificant. Well, and that might be true until it becomes personal. Another true story, this one's about a newspaper editor. One of his top reporters phoned in a breaking story. The story is about an empty truck that had blown a tire and rolled down a hill and smashed into a home. The editor was unimpressed and told the reporter he wasn't going to run the story because it wasn't big or important enough to bother with. The reporter then said, well, I'm glad you're taking this so calmly because it was your house the truck smashed into. (laughs) You know, when disappointment comes, no matter what it entails, if it's personal, it doesn't feel small, insignificant, or unimportant. If it's personal, it hurts. It hurts whether you've been dumped by a girl or a guy in high school. It hurts to be rejected by a college or an employer. It hurts when a friend lets you down. You're disappointed maybe with your salary or your job. Disappointed with a family member. Disappointment is truly more than just a benign word. It is an emotional upheaval that brings daily events crashing down all around us. It can drive us into depression, worry, anxiety, and frustration. But you know what? We're Christians, aren't we? We have the greatest reason for hope. We aren't supposed to be sad, depressed, and disappointed. We're supposed to rely on God in our times of despair and in our times of disappointment. But here's the problem. It's just not that easy, is it? It can be tough. As Christians, we're really not escapists. That's not what the Bible teaches us. No, we're realists. We truly live into this world. We're like country and western music, right? We're real. And we find ourselves in the real world. But here are four biblical ways of dealing with discouragement. You know, God understands our feelings, and there are times in our lives that we need to feel God's presence. First, when faced with disappointment, 
when faced with disappointment, feel the hurt and cry. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 and 3 says, There is a time for every season, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Dr. Robert Nasif, in his book, Big Boys Don't Cry, at least on the outside, tells this powerful story. He says this, Ted had been talking freely about himself and his child, and then he stopped, and he looked up at the ceiling. The ten other men in the room, seated in a circle, along with me as a facilitator, all waited with patience and curiosity for him to continue. We had gathered to discuss the challenges for fathers raising children with disabilities. Before long, the waiting became uneasy, and I asked, well, is there anything else you'd like to share? Still looking up at the ceiling, he said, there's just so much I want to say, but I know that if I say any more, I'll cry. The facilitator said, that's fine. Nothing wrong with cry. And he said, you don't understand. You see, if I start crying, I'm afraid that I won't be able to stop. When he lowered his head, tears began to run down his cheeks. The man sitting to Ted's right put his arm around him, pulled him close, and together they cried. Now, this act was the catalyst for the other men to open up, and they did that day, a powerful day, a day filled with tears and a day filled with deep feelings. My friends, when tears are held inside, pain only intensifies. And I'm here to tell you, crying is not a sign of weakness. Crying is natural. Crying is a cleansing gift from God. It is a part of who we are. It's the way that God made us. And I know that you know the shortest verse in the Bible, right? John eleven thirty five, 35, and it says what? Amen. Jesus wept. Openly facing our disappointment and grief, it really is what brings us and begins us on our journey of hope. I think one of the problems we have is that we don't cry enough. Amen? Second, focus on the good, the godly, and that will bring you calm. I love Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. 
whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You know, today's society is caught up in noise and confusion. And the world constantly chants at us things about disaster and murder and mayhem. And it comes at us from every possible angle. No wonder we have feelings of hopelessness and disappointment. You know, to counteract this focus, what do we need to do? We need to focus on the good. We need to focus on the godly. Because it's only there that we're going to find the calm. You know, I I know you've heard it said, you are what you eat. Yeah, is that true? I think it's also true to say, you become what you think about. So, what do you think about? What do you worry about? What do you get anxious about? What dominates your thoughts? Because here's the thing. If it comes in here, it always makes its way to your heart. Be careful about what you think about. Focus on God. Focus on good things. And peace will come. Third, cooperate with the inevitable conditions of life. Cooperate with the inevitable conditions of life. That's where we start today in our our passage in Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God. Now, please hear me on this. If there are things that we can do and things that we can fix, then fix them. Take initiative and make a difference and fix them. However, you do need to know this. There are things in this life that you cannot fix. Oh, so you want an example, huh? Well, let's make it personal. Let me give you an example of something you can't fix. You ready? Your spouse. (laughs) Your children. Your parents. You don't get to fix these things, right? I mean, as we read the Bible, God did not give you the power to fix or change someone else. You only have the power to change yourself. And you know what? That's not really easy. You're going to need some divine help with that. Okay? So here's the thing. If you can't change another person, why are you working so hard to do it? Stop. My friends, it's like pounding your head against a wall. The only way it feels good is if you stop. 
But here's the thing. We continually try to fix the things that we can't fix. And you know what it leads to? Disappointment and despair. You know, at times we really need the serenity prayer. You know, you need to carry that around in your pocket with you. You know, write it on your hand, you know, something. The serenity prayer, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, to change the things I can, and to have the wisdom to know the difference. What a beautiful prayer. Fourth, and lastly, trust in the amazing love of Jesus Christ. You know, the whole book of Romans is really an amazing book. It's one of the, the best written by Paul because it's so clear and it just builds each chapter on the next, and it kind of moves through. You know, Paul really is the first kind of theologian, and he gives us this absolutely brilliant and beautiful Christology, helping us to understand when we read the Gospels what is being said about the nature of Jesus Christ. And Paul takes all of that and so beautifully spells it out. It's absolutely wonderful. And then we find here in Romans 8, it's still, it's almost like a poetic beauty to it. And the Apostle Paul is just reminding us of God's amazing love. Paul says this, what are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can stand against us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Is it hardship or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? Absolutely not. We are more than conquerors in Jesus who loves us. For nothing will separate us from the love of God. Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? My friends, my friends, this is powerful. Even in our despair, even in our disappointment, you are loved. This is an amazing story about a man named Eugene M. Bartlett Sr. He was born in 1885 in Missouri. He became a singer, songwriter, and publisher. In 1918, he started a music company with a few close friends. They published periodicals and hymnals. 
Over time, he became a profound Christian songwriter. He wrote, everyone will be happy over there and just a little while. He also wrote, he will remember me. You know, he even had some success in country music with a song by little Jimmy Dickens called, Take a Cold Tater and Wait. Yeah, I, I don't know what that means. But it, sound, it sounds like a hit. As a publisher, his hymnal was in demand. He sold over 15,000 copies. And the way he did it, you know, there was no internet. He actually drove from town to town and in that town, from church to church, and he went in and he talked to people about his hymnal. And he sold his hymnal that way. And he was very successful. At that really was kind of the height of his success. In 1939, at the age of 53, his world drastically changed. You see, Eugene Bartlett suffered a paralyzing stroke which left him unable to walk or even speak. You know, Eugene Bartlett lived into his faith and he wrote what would become his best known song. You see, he thought about his life and he said to himself, you know, I have little to despair. I have little to be disappointed in because God has provided for me so much. And one of the things that God has given me is this gift of salvation, a gift that I do not deserve. And as he was giving thanks and as he was thinking, he penned the words, I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. Now, even though he wrote this song during a dark period in his life, he communicated that he did not want this song to be sung as a dirge. He wanted it to be uplifting. He wanted it to be joyous. He wanted it to fill people with the love of God and to remind them that they're loved. And that though, even though disappointing and discouraging and difficult things might be happening to them, there's an amazing love that holds them. The hymn that he wrote, well, we're gonna sing it in just a moment. And it's called Victory in Jesus. Two years after his stroke, Eugene Bartlett died due to complications from that stroke. But the hymn that he left us is a reminder, a reminder that in this life, you will suffer disappointment. But because of Jesus, we always have hope. Because of Jesus, 
We're not defeated. We have victory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.